thinking back a little bit on my life and uh, as I was uh, studying for this week's message and uh, to a time, I guess around maybe age 11 to age 16, the dates and all that weren't uh, something I cared about <laughs> as a young teenager. But, um, but I was a young man at that time who uh, grew up in the church. I said I believed in Jesus, uh, and yet my heart was often drowning in despair. I, I felt like I didn't know what to do. I felt, in a way, dead inside. But I knew I didn't want to die. And I knew Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And some of these scriptures from Sunday school. Yet, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that, that I was in that time really without hope. Those words kind of defined how I felt. I, I could find no rest in my, in my heart, in my soul. I want to return to my story at the end of the message, but perhaps you can relate to that. In some way, maybe it wasn't when you were 11, maybe you weren't thinking about spiritual things at that time. Maybe it was in your 30s. Maybe you feel like that today. Helpless, lost, like you don't know where to go, how to escape the darkness. But you know what? There's hope. We're going to talk about that hope this morning. There is one who can help you. One who can save you. One who can save anyone. And his name is Jesus. We've been going through Mark's gospel. And you may recall in Mark chapter 4, that Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. And... At the end of the day, he and the disciples set sail across the lake. And last week, we saw what happened on the lake. That the disciples' faith was tested by a great storm. And Jesus, in that storm, is revealed as Lord from start to finish. Well, this morning's text continues revealing our Savior to us and and begins as they reach the other side of the lake. We learn that deliverance comes by His initiative. It's His grace. Comes by His power. And deliverance comes to those that receive Christ. Pick up the story on the other side of the lake in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And we'll just read one verse right now. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Short verse. I want to stop and talk about it for a minute. Gerasenes was a Gentile region. It was on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. 
And so Jesus has been doing ministry. He's been revealing himself to the the people of Israel, those whom God had called and made a covenant with, beginning with Abraham and then with Moses and then David. And, And he comes as the one who is the fulfillment of these promises that God has made. And he comes bringing healing, teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. He's been doing this among his own people. But now the Messiah comes, bringing his rule and blessing into enemy territory. Jesus comes taking the kingdom of God across the lake. And in doing so, he demonstrates that there is no person, there is no place that is out of reach of his deliverance and his rule. We're about to be given in the deliverance that Jesus will bring in this one man's life. We're about to be given a foreshadowing of the deliverance that will come to many among the Gentiles. What I want you to notice as you think about this, as you think about Jesus coming and bringing hope and deliverance to those who, from the disciples' perspective, were outside of the covenant of God. They weren't a part of of the people of Abraham. Jesus came of his own initiative. This was his plan and his purpose according to the will of his father. He could have never had the disciples get into the boat and go across the lake. He could have avoided the Gentile side of the lake, said, just don't go there. But Jesus came as an act of his free grace. And prophetic scriptures really set the tone for Jesus' actions here. Jesus is doing what God had said that he would do. For example, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 50, 65 says, I was ready, this is the Lord, I was ready to be sought. By those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found. By those who did not seek me. I said here I am. Here I am. To a nation. That is not called. By my name. Jesus. Here has come. To show mercy. To say here I am. To those who are on the other side of the lake. And this deliverance was by his initiative, his gracious, free choice to act to save. If that was not so, we would still be without hope. I don't know all your heritage, but most of us here hail from a very different heritage than Jewish. Not even ethnicity, 
even if we were Jewish, it was by God's grace that he called the disciples. It was his initiative, and it continues to be his grace in the lives of his people that draws us to himself. Deliverance was and is all of his grace, his choice, his initiative. Well, secondly, we're going to see very vividly that deliverance is by his power and his alone. You see, as Jesus steps off the boat, a conflict follows. Satan will not give up his turf without a fight. Who will win? We're going to read uh, first verses two through five. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is a vivid picture of a man in desperate condition. Jesus steps out of the boat and right away this wild man shows up. This is a guy who lives beside dead people. He's inhabited by demons. And he's so wild that nobody can tame or subdue him. You can't chain him up. And he's so mad he screams into the night. Climbs around the hills in the moonlight and he cuts on himself with jagged rocks. Pretty sorry picture. This is a messed up man. A man in need of help. A man who's in bondage to evil spirits. And I think that at, this can seem very extreme, very distant to us. We're not like that. I'm not that crazy, we think. I think it's important for us to take a step back and to realize that as children born in sin, under the wrath of God. This is how scripture speaks of, of humanity. People are under the rule of, of Satan. And all the powers of darkness who have rebelled against God. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in that famous chapter, chapter 2. He tells them about the grace of God. But first he says, you were. And he proceeds to describe humanity. Apart from the grace of God. And one of the things he says in verse 2 is you were 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work right now. Not just true in Paul's day. Now at work in the sons of disobedience. It may be hard for us to admit. But without God. We're all as helpless before demonic powers as this man was. People might be deceived in different ways. Bound. In different ways to sin. We need a savior. Let's get back to the story. We aren't told how this man got the way that he got. But we do see the terrible condition of this man's life. Man plagued by demons. Who wanted to destroy him. A man living his mad life among the decay of death. Here's the thing. It would take something a lot stronger than iron to change this man. Shackles and chains won't do in this situation. Certainly won't free him from the powers of darkness. Yet Jesus was able to save him. I don't know why it does this, but my thing, it cuts off the scripture. So I'm going to open up to Mark chapter 5. Okay. And we'll continue reading this story. And when he saw Jesus from afar, this man ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he, that is Jesus, was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, what do we see here in these verses? Well, we, we have a conflict. We have the demons in this man coming to try all their tricks to get Jesus to leave them alone. I believe they knew they had no chance against him. So what do they do? Well, they bow down, but not in worship. They rightly address Jesus as son of the most high God. They knew who he was. But then they begin to invoke God's name in an attempt to protect themselves. Calling on God. When the son of God is right before them. They had not come to worship Jesus, had they? They came to protect themselves. They came to keep their hold on this man because they wanted to destroy him. But Jesus is not fooled here. And he's not going to be controlled. 
He's not going to be manipulated by their plans to maintain their control over this fellow. Verses 9 to 13 reveal what happens. And Jesus asked him, he said, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the, uh, on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Notice in verse 9 that as soon as Jesus asked the demon's name, everything escalates. The stakes get higher in a sense. First, we, we learn that this man is he's not just possessed by one unclean spirit here, but by an army of demons. They use the term legion from a Roman military term. Why? For we are many. This conflict was bigger than it seemed. Will that change anything? Will that change the outcome of this story? No, it doesn't. You see, Jesus didn't need their names. He didn't need to sit there going, now which one are you and and then you, and then you. He didn't have to go through a bunch of rituals. He didn't have to do magic spells. He proceeds to cast them out, the whole army, with a word. In fact, Jesus is so much greater, the question isn't if he will cast them out, but where? And so we find the demons pleading with Jesus one last time, and they're not pleading, oh, don't do this now. They're pleading for him to send them into the pigs. Pigs at this point are better than the alternatives. Now Jesus allows their request to be granted. He gives them permission. He's the one who is in control of the situation. And there's been a lot of speculation as to why and what the deal with the pigs is. Sometimes I think we, we get wondering about things and we miss the biggest point. That an army of demons cannot, not ever, it cannot stand against their maker. On the one hand, it is Good to be reminded we are up against supernatural powers that oppose God seeking to destroy his creation. That is their intent. To lie, to destroy. So we should not be ignorant of these things or give them no thought. But this account is about more than that. 
It is about Jesus' authority as Lord and God. It is about revealing his power over all powers that there is none whom he cannot rescue from the kingdom of darkness. You see, deliverance not only comes by his grace, grace, his grace moving toward us, drawing us to himself, but it is also his power that is able to deliver us from every evil and has no other power that can help us. It's no different for you and I than it was for that man. It's only Jesus who can deliver people from bondage to sin and following the way of the course of this world, following the devil and his path. It's only through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to see this. Be amazed at God's ability to save. Trust Him. But you know what happens next is it's, it's hopeful and yet it's tragic at the same time. We'll see a bit of the tragedy first and then the hope at the end. Verses 14 and 15, we see that news is spreading and people are coming to find out what happened. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. The people go to see what has happened and they find a man who has been radically changed in every aspect of his being. Once chains could not hold him. And now he sits there quietly. Once he ran naked, terrifying everybody. And now he's fully clothed. Once he was raving mad. He was screaming. And he'd mutilate himself. Now he's in his right mind. He's thinking clearly. And he's listening. He's listening to Jesus. Deliverance has come. Not amazing what God can do. And yet, what's the people's reaction? What's their response? Verse 16. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. People did not want it. It's a sad picture. The Redeemer was right there. And yet they begged him to leave because they were afraid. Here was someone they could not tame. 
Here was someone who could drive away demons, and yet they drove him away. Because they did not want his deliverance. The demons they could live with, but not Jesus. And so Jesus grants their request. He leaves. Yeah, it is an uh-oh. It's not, not good. It was sad. Why did he leave? Because they didn't want him. See, deliverance... is all by the grace of God. And it is His power. And it is His work. But deliverance only comes to those who receive Christ. It does not come to those that reject Him. We need to see that. Because the work of God and His grace all throughout the Scriptures and His grace and the lives of people all throughout history. Leaves us with choices. What will we do with Jesus? Will we trust Him? Do we want Him in our lives? But there's hope here. And I don't think we should leave without seeing this hope. I love what Jesus does. He leaves, but He does not depart without leaving behind a witness of His saving power and love, does He? I'm going to read verses 18 through 20. As He was getting into the boat, Jesus is off. He's going to leave. The man who had been possessed with demons begged Him that He might be with Him. And He did not permit Him, but said to Him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And now he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The man who had been rescued from the powers of darkness becomes a missionary for Jesus to his own people. You know, that's the grace of God, isn't it? In God's providence, the only request that Jesus declines in this story is the man's request to leave with Jesus. It's not because he doesn't care about this man. It's because he has a purpose for him. So he sends him off to tell the good news. What good news? The good news of what the Lord had done. 
the good news about the kindness that God had shown to him. Do you see that? Do you see that it's the grace of God from beginning to end? That though he does leave those who reject him, he does not leave people without excuse. He offers the grace of God that it would be preached to all the world. Those of us that know the grace of God in our lives have a part in sharing that good news then. Like this man. You see, like this man, we could not save ourselves But thanks be to God, that deliverance comes. It comes by His initiative and His might. If it was not so, we might wonder, uh, am I safe? Will I finish the race? Never sure of the grace of God. Is it enough? But we're not left to our own devices, to our own power, even to our own initiative. From start to finish, deliverance, salvation is a work of God's grace. It's an unmerited and free gift It's his gracious initiative. It's his power. And it's given to whoever comes to receive Christ. I want to talk about a couple of implications. When we think about the good news. When we realize that salvation is not found apart from Jesus Christ. We realize Hope is found in Him alone. First implication is that we can't say that person, they're out of reach. Who does God save in this story? He saves the most hopeless of the lot. And the rest reject Him. God has placed His people as messengers of His grace to the lost, telling of what He has done, that He is able to save anyone. He will save whoever comes to Him in faith and trust in Christ. Do we believe that when we think about the deliverance of God or is it off limits for some people? Do we feel it's off limits for ourselves? Just don't feel I'm not secure. I don't know what to hold on to. Salvation is in Christ. He's able to save anyone.
Well, the second implication is always, as we come to see the deliverance of God, as we come to see His grace, we have choices. A choice, really. Receive Christ or reject Him. And how we respond to the grace of Christ, how we respond to His presence and to His power, this is where the rubber meets the road. So will we receive Him? Well, back to my story. As a young man, I was enslaved to sin. And hopelessness defined me. On the outside, I looked fine. I don't think I really even talked to my parents very much about the internal turmoil I felt and different questions that I had. But God continued to put people in my life who showed me His grace, including my parents and uh, some others that I can think of. And, and I now know the Savior. I knew Him in one sense before. I believe He called me to Himself. He was graciously working in my life from the moment I was born, putting me in the place that He did. But I now know the same one who saved this man, the one who can save you and I from every evil. I believe that because I came to see His grace and His love that He would go to the cross, that He would be raised to life and have the power over death and hell to deliver me completely. Because of Him, I live to proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done for me. Do I still feel powerless at times? You bet. Hopeless? I feel that too. But I know Jesus. And I know that He can save each and every one who trusts in Him. And I can say with Paul, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 16.